Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Perfect. Hey, everyone. Donovan Brown here with another episode of DevOps Interviews. I'm here with my man, Aaron, who's now going to be on the show for the fourth time. Uh, we did an amazing show a couple years ago on planning. And the last time I had time to spend with you, I realized we've changed a lot in the way that we do planning. And I tell the story a lot, so I want to make sure that I'm accurate, too, on the way that we do that. I remember at one point we had the big 18th month scenario, and then we broke it down into six month seasons, and then back in. But now, last time we spoke, it's not 18 months. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I think we've been, you know, we're we're sort of always evolving the way we work, right? Sure. It's it's uh, pretty foundational to to how we approach things. But I think we have evolved the planning cadence a fair amount. We used to always kind of think and talk in sort of the 18 month vision, and we've really like reduced that down to a yearly cadence. So we do sort of high-level planning at uh, on the fiscal year boundaries. So it happens in the summer and runs for a year. We're halfway through it right now when we're recording that. And um, and that becomes kind of the big window that we're always sort of looking at, is that 12-month window instead of the 18-month window. Okay, gotcha. And, and what was it? Was it the 18th month? You were, we were never getting to any of that stuff? And like, what was the catalyst behind, that's just too long, we're wasting time? Yeah, I think that was a little bit of it. Okay. I think um, one is we always have business goals that snap to fiscal year boundaries. So there was a natural sort of fiscal year conversation that was happening. And I think we were still trying to think and talk sort of sometimes about 18 months. And it just felt awkward, if you will. And anytime you have sort of those awkward things, you just say like, should we do this a little bit differently so it kind of moves all in the same direction and snapping to the fiscal year boundary just made a lot more sense. Yeah, it's almost like when you have a, a four-week sprint and you always try to make it fit in a calendar month and it never quite fits. It's, a, right? it's perfect, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the reality is people people often ask, well, you know, you know, when do you, you know, they, they, they think that when we, you know, approach the fiscal year boundary that we start with a blank slate and then decide what we're going to do the next fiscal year. The reality is you're still thinking 18 months, you're still thinking two years out. But we're writing documents and really going through sort of um, our planning ceremonies around sort of that 12-month window instead of an 18-month window. And in the past, I, I don't know where I heard this mentioned, but it almost seemed like our seasons kind of lined up with build and connect. It was like, what big things do we want to announce at build? What big things do we want to announce at connect? Now, connect got, well, I should say Ignite got moved to November. Build, so is that still kind of like, what are the big things we want to talk about at Build and launch at Build, and what are the big things we want to launch at Ignite now that it's in November? I think those those two conversations happen regardless. Okay. I don't think, though, we really have any, um, like our planning cadences and, and the planning ceremonies that we go through are sort of freed from those events. So I think, I think we'll get to that. We'll talk about some of the aspects of our planning. But those are always just two conversations that are happening throughout the year. Um, they are kind of the big moments, if you will. So it's always in the back of your head, hey, if I'm doing this in you know, calendar year 18, quarter three, I know I'm going to have a good chance to talk about it at the Connect event, which will happen sometime in Q4. Gotcha. Right? And, and that, that becomes very sort of natural. Gotcha. And I remembered also from the 18th month way of planning, it was like, okay, we're going to do this for six months. And then we're going to replant our 18-month vision. Like we're like we've learned over the last six months. Things yeah. have changed over the last six months. What we thought we wanted 18 months from six months ago isn't the same anymore. But now that you're doing on this fiscal year boundary, when do you go back and say, you know what? Let's just not assume that what we wanted last fiscal year is what we need 12 months from now. When do you go back and say, let's go ahead and re recalibrate, or based on what we've learned, based on where the industry is, based on what our competition is doing, do we need to adjust what we want? Yeah, so I think, so let, let, let's kind of jump into that. I think okay. the way we do it is we're going to set uh, business goals on the fiscal year calendar, okay? So that'll happen on the, 
June, July sort of boundary and, and happen for a calendar year. Then we're going to move into planning, if you will, on a quarterly cadence. And so we're going to plan in you know, quarter fiscal year calendar one, two, three, four, calendar year quarter three, <laughs> four, one, and two. Gotcha. It's a little bit uh, confusing. But I think essentially we're um, each time we snap to a new quarter and start thinking ahead, I guess the reality is we are kind of stepping back and making sure that we're still thinking about the, the goals for the fiscal year right. It's very, very rare that we're going to move a target. So let's say we have a, a fiscal year goal to sort of increase adoption of something to some number. Um, I don't think we're going to think about how we uh, changing the, the finish line, if you will, for the number. But I do think we will evaluate the approach to that finish line. And we'll do that every single quarter. So essentially, once you've got the fiscal year plan in place, you're going to have three new opportunities throughout the year to make adjustments. And well, that, you bring up an interesting point because when you when you described an example of what you would put on your fiscal year plan, it was like driving adoption. Yeah. That's a very generic, very smushy kind of. Yeah. So at that level, that's what you're talking about. It's not we're going to implement YAML builds or YAML releases. That's not the kind of thing you're talking about on a fiscal year, right? Yeah, that's right. There's always this kind of uh, sort of dual conversation going on, which is what are the the numbers we're trying to move? What are the business results we're trying to achieve, right? And that typically has to do with yeah adoption, user growth, revenue, things like that, right? They're, they're measurable outcomes, if you will, and, and they're the things that people care about from a bottom line perspective. Then the question becomes, how are you going to get there? Mm -hmm. And that's where features come into the conversation. So yeah, implementing YAML build, um, that might be a, you know, a key thing to drive user growth or drive adoption, if you will. But I think the, the fiscal year goals are not about implementing features. They're about achieving a business result. And then the features become sort of what we're trying to achieve in the quarters that, that lay out, if you will. And they should um, help us, if you will, achieve that business result. Yeah, they need to accrue to that business yeah. goal. Gotcha. Yeah, but I think they are two separate conversations. I think um, you know, we want to have the business outcomes that we're trying to achieve. We want to write them down, talk about them. We certainly do write down thoughts and share thoughts sure. about how we think we're going to do that. And then the quarters become sort of the, um, both the execution mechanism as well as the opportunity on the boundaries to adjust and sort of pivot and rethink. So where, how do you capture those? Are they work items inside of Azure boards right now at the Epic or feature level when you have that yearly we want to adop increase adoption? Where is that documented and kept and tracked? Yeah, so today the way we're doing that is uh, we're essentially capturing those business goals in Word documents. So okay. we'll write Word documents where we'll capture them. And then we'll build Power BI dashboards where we measure them. Uh, we typically don't use work items for, for that sort of very, very high level stuff. Got it. And then what we do is as we move into the quarters, we are about six to nine months into our own sort of journey to adopt what are called uh, OKRs, or Objectives and Key Results. Okay. So it's a popular goal setting and alignment technique that's used in the industry. It was first created um, sort of, I think, sort of birthed back by Intel, back okay, in sort wow. of like the 80s, if you will. And then a lot of companies out there, if you sort of go research it, there's a lot of organizations that have used OKRs. And we found they've been really, really helpful because they help us get the team, the broader team aligned on what we're trying to achieve, which is the objective. And then we, we actually write down measurable key results. So, you know, in quarter, like in quarter one next year, I want to increase adoption from, you know, this number to that number. 
and it becomes something that we can actually measure. And then it starts to drive conversations about the work we're doing. And are we doing work that helps us do that? Or are we doing work that you know, we know is good, but might not move that particular number? And that exercise has been really, really galvanizing for us in terms of getting clear on what our priorities are. And I think the reality is, if you kind of people say, why have you adopted OKRs? I think the bottom line is that we were trying to do too many things at once. Okay. And we weren't measurable enough in terms of whether or not we were being successful. So we were shipping a lot of features, but are they moving the business metrics? We don't know. And we're sort of not thinking about that right from the beginning. Right. And so that's why we've uh, sort of moved into that model. Yeah, because I always tell people when we're talking about DevOps, it's like continuous delivery of value. You can't just implement features and assume you delivered value. If no one uses those features, you did not deliver value, right? You just put random features out there. So it's all about measuring. Now the OKR sounds like it defines the definition, like this is what we want to measure and, and this is what we want to improve, but the actual measuring of that still happens from telemetry and, and yeah, stuff that's actually so put in your code, right? That's right, so the measuring will still happen through telemetry and other things. So what'll typically happen is as we define the OKRs for a quarter, when we, when we start the quarter, um, we have them all written down. We actually use uh, wikis in Azure DevOps. So okay. We capture them there in, in wiki pages so that everybody can see them. And then on those wiki pages, there's a link directly to a Power BI dashboard that has the structure of the OKRs with um, the actual telemetry and measurement. So, you know, let's say like right now we're trying to move our NPS number, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to take it from, let's say 10 to 20, just to use round numbers. When we start the uh, quarter, you can see that it's at 10. We can see the 90-day trend on which direction it's going. And then we can actually watch it day by day move. And again, you say, well, how are you moving that particular number? It's a bit of a lagging indicator. But we, we have it there so that everybody understands, hey, we're doing this feature. We believe it will, will move NPS. And we want to ingrain in everybody's mindset that this is what we're trying to achieve together. And so it becomes highly visible, if you will, in that regard, so everybody can watch it and see it. NPS, just so for people who might not know what NPS is. Uh, net Promoter Score. Right, it's exactly. a simple measurement of whether or not you'd, it's a way people evaluate if, if a product is liked and enjoyed. Exactly. And the, uh, the simple survey question is, would you recommend the product to a friend or colleague, right? And there's right. a rating scale. Yeah, they're starting that. to do that for our conferences as well, right? The, the, yeah. the, so I've been learning it's, a little It's bit a very buzzwordy like, yeah, metric. Exactly. Um, I, I actually think NPS is, is fabulous because not only do you get the score, but you provide people with the opportunity to kind of give you a comment or a verbatim mm -hmm. about why they gave you the score. And that's the way I start my days now is I actually go in and read what people have said about whether or not they'd recommend the product. And uh, I usually start by um, filtering directly to the detractors. Sure. So those are the people that ha won't recommend and you read why they are not gonna recommend the product. And you get to, you really get some insight into, um, boy, like, you know, I'm super close to the product and I understand it, but what's the perspective of somebody who's using it out there in the wild? And why, why aren't they gonna recommend it to a friend? And, Sometimes there's some colorful commentary that you get, right. but uh, it's, uh, it's very grounding. Yeah, what I've noticed too is I help a lot of people adopt Azure DevOps, right? Because like, they recognize my face, and they, I just yeah. did it. Before this meeting, I was on a call with someone asking questions. And it's interesting, I've, I've had to start stopping myself from telling them where to click. Because they'll share their screen with me, and I've learned it's really empowering to watch them use the product. I'm like, wow, 
I've used it for so long, it's easy for me to do that, but it's clearly not easy for someone who's never done this to find those areas. And I usually take notes and then I share them with you. Like, man, this is intuitive to us because literally 2005 TFS, I was there. Yeah. Right? I've seen it grow up. But if you're brand new to this and they're just like, their mouse is just hunting, I'm like, oh man, this is, this is amazing to read that. So the detractors are those people who are like giving you that raw, unfiltered, unbiased view because again, you and I can't see it for the first time anymore. Right, it's all intuitive to us. That's right. We even had, you know, uh, to you know, kind of open the kimono a little bit more. We had, uh, we implemented a, a new navigation model, right, in the fall, and we had a, a KR this particular quarter that said we would get it rolled out to all of our customers, and that it would not result in a dip in NPS. Uh, we did get it rolled out to all customers, so it's turned on, and NPS has dipped. So. Uh, that's given us some very clear um, things that we know we need to go do in quarter one of next year now. And, um, and our plans will reflect that, if you will. And some of the work items that gotcha. you'll see us doing, some of the features, in fact, um, are a reflection of that. So it's, it's very, very real for us. Got it. So let's map the OKRs to the yearly fiscal like plan, right? So there's not one-to-one -one correlation between we want to move adoption, so we have one OKR that says move adoption, do you? Or do we have multiple... OKRs that might accrue to one ob business objective for the yeah. year. Yeah, so the way we're doing it is we will have um, uh, we will have OKRs that we do for the Azure DevOps suite all up. And when you go read those, you will see um, pretty much a one-to-one -one mapping between some of the business outcomes that we're trying to achieve in our um, you know fiscal year goals, if you will. Uh, from there, then. We have OKRs for each of the major products or services. So we'll have them for Azure boards. We'll have them for Azure pipelines. Um, we might have them for like an area called reporting, which is a bit of a you know, horizontal, mm -hmm. if you will, across a bunch of different services. And yeah, when you get down to that level, it's definitely not going to be a one-to-one. -one. You're going to see lots of different variety, if you will. But that exercise of developing the OKRs is not something that we do in a vacuum. You do it in a very public forum. Mm -hmm. And we, we have to make sure that the, the OKRs across teams and across services make sense together. And that we're not just sort of bifurcating the org so that everybody's working on different priorities. There should be a fair amount of alignment. And one of the common practices we've had is where uh, different product groups will share an OKR. So I'll have it written in mine for Azure boards. And then we might also have it written in pipelines. And in the, docu in the documents where we define those, we'll actually you know, call that out, that this is a shared KR because we're both uh, running at the same goal. Got it. And so who, talk about ownership of those. Because like, the planning, we have like the ownership of what we want is owned by the leadership. How we do that is owned by the actual teams themselves. So an OKR is owned by who? So an OKR typically is owned by like somebody like myself, which would be uh, a GPM. So I'm the like the the product owner for Azure Boards, mm -hmm. if you will. So my job is to make sure that we have the right OKRs for the the quarter, if you will. Um, and then the folks on our team, so the engineering managers, the PMs, the the IC engineers themselves, um, they will sort of be clustered into different uh, groups that are owning, if you will, the outcome of a particular KR. So the objectives themselves and the, the broader OKRs are owned by me. And then we have folks on the team that sort of take ownership of the individual KRs and sort of pushing those across the finish line. Interesting. Um, so listening to all this, I'm starting to think, so what happens to all the requirements that we get from user voice and from customer meetings? If we have this plan already for the year of what we want to move and that feature that people are yelling for doesn't move any of those 
what what how does that get prioritized on the yeah. product backlog? So, so typically there's a there's a really big intersection between those things. We would hope, right? Yeah, we would hope. <laughs> and I, I think if they're if they're not, um, yeah, then then we're either not listening to customers or we're not building sort of business outcomes that reflect our customers' priorities, right? And so there is a large overlap. So um, in in one of my OKRs, it talks about improving NPS. There's a bunch of different things we're going to do to improve NPS. Uh, some of them are about improving performance of the product. So we're, we're working on that, if, if you're curious. <laughs> so we're going to make it a lot faster. We read about that, and, and we hear about that from, from customers, if you will. Some of them are about features that people want. So a great example of that is people have been asking for literally years for the ability to customize columns on the task board. We're actively working on that right now. And we hope to deliver a preview of it by the end of this upcoming quarter in calendar year 19, quarter one. Uh, if it doesn't make the end of the quarter, it'll definitely be in quarter two of next year. But that is something that we know will improve NPS as well because we, we read about it in the comments and we've heard about it for so long from customers on places like uh, community feedback and user voice. So th there is an intersection there. But I also think that you know it's a great example of where you have to read all the different tea leaves and then put them together into a formula that helps you achieve the business outcome. If you just strictly do everything on your user voice site, um, it's probably not going to hang together very well and it's, it's likely you're going to be spread too thin and trying to move too many rocks at the same gotcha. time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, one of the other things that we were talking about in the previous one is our sprint length. Yeah. Right? We talked about the Goldilocks syndrome and how yeah. we got the three weeks. Even though we've changed how we do our planning, we've introduced these OKRs, the three-week cadence is still the way that we're running it today. Yeah, no changes there. We're still on the three-week cadence. Um, it's really foundational to how we work, and it, and it works actually really, really well with the uh, quarterly OKRs because essentially you get about four sprints per quarter. Okay. And when we go through the OKR uh, process, we will lay out the sprints that sort of get credit in the quarter for how we're measuring and whatnot, so everybody knows uh, that these are the next four sprints that we're tackling, if you will. So if the OKRs are defined in a wiki, but all of our planning is done in boards, where is the connection between these work items accrue to this OKR? How do I see that? Yeah, so what we do is the, the, the high level work item that we work from, uh, sort of where we drive our business through, are the feature level work items. Okay, so we don't use the Epic. Yeah, we don't. I mean, we, we've experimented. We have lots of teams that do, mm -hmm. but we don't have alignment on, on doing it through Epics, okay. right? We just haven't. Um, we found it's, um, uh, it's a lot of work with, you know, sort of not a lot of um, return on that investment, okay. if you will. Uh, but we're, we're aligned at the feature level, and then obviously our teams work in stories and tasks. Sure. Um, and bugs, for sure. Yep. But those are the core ones. What you'll see is if you went to our actual boards and looked at our work items, you would see features. And then you'll see tags on the features that indicate the KR that they are aligned to. So a common like structure that you might see is something like you know, calendar year 19, Q1, and then it would say 1.1. And that means that that feature is aligned with trying to move objective one key result one. Gotcha. And so, you know, um, CY19 Q1 3.2 would mean objective three key result two. Gotcha. And so you can actually go to the boards and you can see the mapping then, and then we'll write queries that help us track that. Um, but, but it's at that level, if you will. So you have to kind of know what's in the Word documents 
um, and then understand that, if you will, if you're thinking about objectives and key results when looking at our boards. Of course, with the links, you could link to that document or to the wiki page. Absolutely. And right off the work. Yeah, we typically do that. So you'll see a lot of uh, deep linking, if you will. But um, but yeah, that's the way it's, we're doing it now. So what else has changed since the last time? Because I remember we talked a lot about the sprint mails. I think you even showed an example yeah. of a sprint mail. Has that changed or morphed in any way? So yeah, one thing that we, we have done is when we went in on sort of all in on OKR, we, we dabbled with it for a while, but we went when we went all in about six months ago, we realized that we needed to align a bunch of other ceremonies, if you will, around OKRs. Otherwise, we're kind of um, uh, we're kind of swimming in different directions on, okay. on different things. And so, what we decided to do is instead of having every single one of our feature teams, and we have about 50 feature teams across the entire product suite, instead of every feature team sending a sprint mail. What we've moved to is having a sprint mail for each of the products, if you will, that encompasses the value from multiple feature teams. And it comes in a frame or a structure that speaks OKRs. So a great example of that is every three weeks, I send a sprint mail for the Azure Boards product. That sprint mail encompasses the work of five feature teams. Okay. It includes sprint demos just like before. And it's framed in, here's the four objectives we're trying to move in this quarter, and let me provide meaningful updates for each one of those okay. about how we're doing it and how we did it in this particular sprint. Mm. So again, it, it, it directly kind of ties back into the momentum and that sort of um, direction that we're building with the OKRs. Yeah, it gives me a lot less emails to have to read. And it gives you a lot <laughs> less emails to have to do. So we had, just because the scale of our org, people would often ask, like, how do you absorb, you know, 50 emails from every team? And, and the reality is, you know, inbox rules. But nobody yep. was really reading nope. them all. And, and we knew that. And so we just realized, we, we thought there was some waste there, and we thought there was probably a more efficient way to do it. The way I do it for my teams, it's actually quite a fun process, is, um, you know, about three days before the sprint ends, we start a thread in our Teams channel with all of our PMs, all of our engineering managers, and we say, hey, it's sprint mail time. You know, the sprint's going to end over the next three days. Um, we create a Word document with sort of a draft kind of outline of here's the, the four objectives. And then we assign people to kind of go write the meaningful update for each one. And we say, hey, what demos do we have that we think will be wrapped up? And then we, you know, just do some... Um, sort of group thinking on it, um, and then I'll take it and sort of wordsmith it and put it into a, a, a package that goes out um, on the first day of the next sprint. And so actually today is day one of Sprint 146, okay. and so I have on my bucket list, or it's not a bucket list, it's my punch list to do <laughs> uh, this afternoon is to get that sprint mail sent out. It's already drafted, the videos have already been created, I've just got to sort of uh, clean it up a little sure. bit and get it sent out to the So do you order. record the video, or do are there several videos recorded by different key uh, features or things the, that happen. The teams themselves will record their videos. Yeah. Okay. So um, and that'll you know rotate. Sometimes PMs are doing it. Sometimes IC engineers okay. are doing it. It just depends. Yeah, yeah. And I know. I remember in the past we used to talk about when the, the. Correct me if I'm wrong. The original reason for the video was we simply can't sit in everyone's sprint review. Yeah. And we right. need a way for us to be able to review that in an asynchronous method, but still be able to see it if we need to see it. And what was one of the side effects was that was to record the video the feature has to be done yeah right so that last day because a lot of people who are sprinting for the first yeah. time in agile that last day is chaos right they're yeah. constantly trying to get everything done because they've been lagging and procrastinating but that video having to be sent 
meant you have to be done because you can't record something for fake. And I, is that st do you still see that being a, a forcing factor to get things done a little sooner? Yeah, I still think that dynamic is there, and it, it definitely helps with like a definition of done and mm -hmm. like really finishing it. I think we're not um, religious, if you will, about like you can send a sprint demo for a feature that's not quite complete because sure. you might just want to share feedback. progress, right? Yeah. It's it's feedback. But I think we just call it out. So sure. there are times when a, a demo is, or a, a video is in one of the sprint mails that's like, hey, this particular feature is shipping the sprint, and here's the video for it. There's other times when it's, hey, this feature has made a bunch of great progress. I want everybody to get a feel for sure. it, and it's going to be wrapped up and finished in the next sprint. Yeah, that's perfectly legit. As long as yeah. you're transparent, right? The whole point is to get that feedback early because you don't want to go another whole sprint and then realize that you could have gotten some feedback that would have made you not make a mistake, right? Yeah, but I think I think you nailed it from the beginning. Like, nothing's changed in that this is still essentially a sprint demo for a large group yeah. of people. And we have a lot going on. I mean, on the boards team, we have, you know, 60, 70 people working on that product. So this is, you know, what are the meaningful things that ev we want everybody to understand that came out of this three weeks of energy that we all put in together? And we might have three or four um, demo videos kind of show up. And it's also a great forcing function when you say, hey, I want to record a demo of something. It forces you to think about getting it complete yep. and um, actually being able, even able to tell a story for the feature, yep. like not just what is the feature, but like how would a customer use it? And I want to demo that value to people. And so I think it's a great forcing function from that perspective. So, in the, so it sounds like a lot of these changes all came out of the fact that someone identified OKRs are a better way to plan. Where, where did we get that information? Where can other people get that information about OKRs and how to implement them? Yeah, so you know, we had been talking about improving here for a while. Like we had known for probably, I, I would say there, there was an ongoing conversation probably starting about a year ago now, okay. about six months, where we were saying, man, it feels like we're ready for some changes in the way we do things and the, the, the path that we're on feels a little stale, like maybe we're not getting the value of it. Um, a book that um, was published in I think April of this last year hmm. uh, called Measure What Matters by John Doerr was a book that sort of made the, the reading list of a lot of folks around the team, gotcha. on the leadership team and then, um, and then below that. And the book Measure What Matters is really um, essentially explaining what OKRs are and giving a bunch of case studies from how they were created and then different organizations that use them. Okay. So we all read that book and I think that prompted us to say, hey, this seems like a good approach to this. It's going to uh, solve um, a few problems for us. Let's go try it. And gotcha. so um, we did that in quarter two of last year. We had some teams and groups experimenting with it. And then quarter three, which was kind of the, the summer, if you will, um, July through uh, September, was our first quarter of trying to do it across all groups in gotcha. Azure DevOps. Yeah. Gotcha. So one last thing is the product has changed to where it's now more of a vertical, like five services yeah. that run almost run independently. Has that changed planning in any way? Uh, I think it has. I think it, it absolutely aligned with what we're doing here with OKRs as well. But I think, um, you know, we're still a suite and we still want the, the individual products to be sort of magical when they all work together. Sure. That's still uh, very, very clear. But I think it's allowed us to provide more focus to each of the products and where do we want to put our energy. And just to be really transparent, it was harder to have that conversation when we were talking about the work hub in you know, VSTS, for example, 
now I can just say Azure Boards. And hopefully that's something that our community understands, it's something our team understands, and we can have real business goals for that part of the product. And that would be no different than um, how we think about Azure Pipelines as well. Sure. It's no longer talking about build and release and, sure. and features. It's now talking about a product that we, that we have and a message for our customers. And so I think um, reorganizing and relaunching the product uh, with that kind of perspective in mind has also aligned really well with um, the way we're doing planning. Okay, and there's one, I, I thought it was one more thing, but now there is one more, one more thing. Okay. Is that I remember we used to do something called experience reviews. Yeah. Right, so, and that was sort of a, like it was like wireframe kind of, like this is what I think is going to be happening. It's like a lot of planning. Do we still do that? Do we not do that? Uh, we still do. So I think what happens is anytime we're building something new in the product, you want to have a conversation with the leadership team about what it is and how it's going to come together and, and kind of get everybody invested in that. Uh, we still do those. So we have regular slots on the calendar where we're going to have those reviews. I think the evolution of them, though, is that they've become a lot, um, a lot less about the UI and a lot more about sort of the business outcome and the scenarios. So if it, kind of bringing it back to OKRs yeah. is, why are we doing this feature? What KR is it going to move? Yes, we want to understand what the UI looks like, but for the most part, we're going to step back from that and let our team and our design team own the implementation of the UI and trust that it's right. And I think, just to be honest, that's been a healthier conversation. Interesting, so. yeah, so OKRs or something. I'll make sure that you send me the books you want, I'll make sure they're in the show notes so people yeah. can click on those and get some more information on that. Uh, yeah, I think this has been an, a really good refresh of what we've done, and it, and it goes to show that you're never done. Yeah. Right? We're, you're never, this is where you constantly inspect and adapt. That's like the heart of Agile, inspect and adapt. And we've done that with the way that we impli even implement Agile, right? It's like during your retrospectives, you're supposed to go back what went well, what didn't go well, what can we do better? And even here at Microsoft, we're finding ways that we can even do better than we've done in the past. Yeah, I think that's right. I always you know, leave people with like, we're continually learning how to do this. It's the center of that is exactly what you said. It's inspect and adapt. And as long as you're continually doing that, I think you know, you'll find your way and you'll find your path. Sure. Um, uh, and I think that's no different than us. Like, we're continuing to do that. And we used to, you know, there's, there's elements of the way we work that have stayed the same, the mm -hmm. three-week sprint, the organization by teams. But we are changing quite a bit of the pieces around that. And um, it's super healthy. Awesome. You know? Yeah, so. I tell everyone, don't, when I tell the story, because it's a very popular story, I get asked to yeah. tell the story all over the place. It's like, don't do what I'm about to say simply because you hear us do it, right? This is what we're doing. This is what's worked for us. These are some of the justifications on why we made these decisions. And you need to go have these same experiences for yourself. These might be places you can try, but please don't assume that. Because our Agile doesn't even look the same as it did a couple years ago, right? And yours yeah. isn't going to definitely not going to look like ours. Yeah, and it's no. And, and in, in that vein, I mean, because I do the same. I get a chance to share our story with a lot of customers mm -hmm. about how we're doing it. It's super fun. But I'm always very careful to say, hey, our, our business, like, think about it. I'm building, I'm using the tool I'm building, one. I'm building tools for engineers, too. <laughs> like, you know, when I'm talking to an insurance company, like, that's different, it right? And, and your world is different than mine. <laughs> there's a lot of similarities, and there's a lot of places where we can trade notes and learn from one another. But I think you're exactly right. Like, don't treat this as a, pres a prescriptive set of steps. Um, because if you do, I, I, I doubt it'll work perfectly <laughs> for your environment. I remember I got off stage once and I had forgot to put the caveat that 
the reason that we don't have this huge team of manual testers is because we use the product yeah. that we use. So I got off stage and one, one guy came off and said, so we just fire all our manual testers? I'm like, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. I was like, do you use the product that you use? Like, no, I'm like, then you need manual testers. You need UAT. It's like, we're very unique in the fact that we actually use the product that we build. So we literally have ourselves as being our own manual testers, right? Which is very unique yeah. to us. So if you're not a trucker writing software for truck drivers, you need truck drivers testing your software for you. Yeah, I always talk to people about like testing in production is a very, it's a healthy mindset to have and to be able to do. Like you want to be able to test in production. It's easier for us to do Absolutely. because of the way we're organized and the tool we're building and what production looks like for our environment. Um, that's different for different organizations and different companies. And you know, not everybody's going to be able to probably get to where we've gotten to in sure. that regard, and that's okay. Right? Yeah, and that's, so. again, that kind of brings back to planning, too, because testing is part of planning, right? And because we have, if you run it, if you wrote it, you run it kind of mindset, yeah. right? You're responsible for quality from time zero. Yeah. This isn't something you bolt on later, and you're going to have to use the product, which I always joke, that really increases the quality real quick, right? Yeah. I have to use this, so it's going to have to work. And that has to affect planning, too, right? Does it, do you think it speeds it up, makes it easier? How does it affect planning the fact that we are so vigilant about quality, not only because we want it to be good, but because we have to use it? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think we know because of that, I think um, it, it provides a mindset that putting something into production is like it's going to immediately be used by your peers and, and your team. On, on that very first day. So I think yeah. it sort of raises people's even expectation about thinking it all through and understanding what quality means. Um, I also think it's been super helpful in terms of knowing that we can learn as soon as we get something into production and start testing it. And um, it's helped us plan for like adjustments along the way. So you're not done the moment it hits production. You're done the moment you've addressed everything that you found once it hits production and once it's rolled out to everybody. Like, it's um, provided us kind of a bigger perspective on that that I think um, was harder for us to imagine, to be honest, um, in the way that we worked, you know, kind of in the old days. Yeah, because the definition of done, I think Martin shared it on Twitter, was in production being like being monitored in production, yeah. right? Which is a really mature and aggressive definition of done, right? Most people are code complete, or, yeah. like they're very, and they, they get more mature, but that is, I think the most mature I've ever heard is like, no, you're not done until we're monitoring it and getting telemetry from it from production. That's when you're done, right? And again, that has to drive into your planning uh, of how that actually works as well. Yeah, and I think even, you know, even to extend it even beyond that, once it's done and in production with telemetry, now you're learning. And so, you know, the, the learning you changes, know, changes the perspective <laughs> on like, are we done? And, exactly. and there's oftentimes you get it turned on in production and you realize, no, we're not done. We've got more here. Um, and there's lots of different signals that can indicate that, but um, but I agree. Like I think awesome. it is a, a fairly mature definition, and um, you know it's it's matured along our journey for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this planning refresh. I think people are going to love it because, again, to see that we're still changing, I think is really really powerful. So yeah. thanks so much cool. for being back here again. All right. And thanks, we will Donovan. See you guys next time. All right.